0: So, I want to share with you a quote that I came across recently on my favorite folder in my photo album. Typically, when I go through and read articles or books or anything that I see that catches my attention or catches my eyes or is deeply insightful to me, I take a screenshot of the information or the article or whatever, and I save it in a particular folder for a future version of myself. Um, and I stumbled across this gem today as I was kind of cleaning up some folders and del- deleting screenshots that I no longer felt you know, applicable to the journey that I'm on right now and vice versa. But this article, I took a screenshot of it back in July 8th, 2017. I can't tell you who the quote is by, except that their last name ends in lotto like lottery, but I'll read it to you. And I think it ties in really nicely to what was discussed in the previous episode, the episode preceding this one. Um, and I said towards the end of that episode that I wanted to really delve in and explore the concept of our reality being just another type of simulation or illusion, as I was talking about in last week's episode. So here's a quote. We are not being diligent enough or deliberate enough about cultivating our imagination. We have to fight our ability to imagine the world we want because one form of oppression is telling people that they are not allowed to imagine something better and happier either there are no illusions or everything is an illusion i I'll say that again either there are no illusions or everything is an illusion said lotto at the conclusion of his remarks at the recent Being Human 2012 conference. And given that we are pretty much all delusional, you might as well choose your delusion. I love that quote. I have no idea, like I said, who said it. All I, all I have is a screenshot, the fact that it was on CNN, the fact that it came from the Being Human 2012 conference and that it was said by a guy named Lotto. But the two lines that really stuck to me, was either there are no illusions, or everything is an illusion. And then the second quote is, and given that we are pretty much all delusional, you might as well choose your delusion. Beautiful. Choose your delu- choose your delusion. That's more or less in a very, very, very condensed and concise form in two uh, two sentences. is basically what I was getting at in the previous episode, where I talked about you can't dream, right? We dream and we say that that's an illusion, some sort of false reality. But while you're in the dream, it feels real. So you can't have a dream and say, well, that's an illusion, even though while you're in it, it felt real. You can't watch a movie and even though you're caught up in the illusion of it and it feels real, right? When you watch a movie or a TV show, you can feel your heart race, you can feel the goosebumps on your skin rise and the hair stick up. You can feel tense, you can feel like your pupils will dilate. So your body is physically reacting, physiologically responding to the images that you see on the television and yet you know on some level in the back of your mind that it is a type of illusion. doesn't matter though, quote, illusion or not, your body still reacts to it. So. Either we have to re-examine what the word illusion means, or just understand that just because something is illusion or something is an illusion doesn't make it not real. Does that make sense? Like it it's very dual. Everything is dual in this reality. And so what I was basically saying in the previous episode is that if your dream while you're in it feels real but it ends up obviously being an illusion in a movie while you're watching it feels real that it ends up being an illusion then your life right extrapolating from the micro to the macro your life while you're in it feels real but it is just another type of an illusion and I want to take th- that premise and tie it in to this quote where he said either there are no illusions or everything is an illusion, and I want to take it a step back, or take take it a step further rather, and say that everything is both both an illusion and also real simultaneously. Duality, right? That's the nature of our reality. So it's a hard concept to grasp initially. I struggled with it as well. It was something that I understood in my ha- in my heart but have been really working on processing in my in my head right so it's heart knowledge but i've been working on processing it in my head and really holding on to it but with every day uh, every moment i bring to the forefront of my mind a certain level of consciousness by asking myself the question is this real is this real is this real this is a practice that i actually got i picked up for reading osho so some of my regular listeners know i speak on I just I think randomly over the last couple of weeks, decided I was going to revisit um, one book that I had read by Osho, and now I'm like three books in. I just started another Osho book um, earlier this week on Audible, and the title of that book is called The Secret of Secrets. So I'm three Osho books in, and if you've never read an Osho book before um, or listened to it, um, I will let you know that... Don't be put off when you go to Audible to purchase a book or you know to listen to it. If it says it's like forty-five hours long, or the one I'm listening to right now is fifty-something hours long, don't be put off by that because he speaks really slowly, even slower than I speak, really slowly. Just utilize the um the speed aspect that should come with Audible and just increase the speed to whatever sounds comfortable for you, and that will severely cut down the listening time so that you're not spending like a a month or something like going through this information because he speaks slowly and he takes very long pauses and as I said in the previous episodes if you have heard of Osho before whatever you have heard of it either of him rather either positive or negative disregard it and just try to go into it if you've never listened to him before or if you listened to him a long time ago or you know, attended one of his conferences a long time ago, try to go into it again with an open mind with the approach of I'm just going in and it's not even about the individual, right? Don't make your practice, don't make your study um, about him, right? He's just a persona. Get the information that he's presenting because a lot of the stuff that he says is paradigm shifting, mind altering stuff. And so, I, you know, I, I love his jokes. I think it's funny. The guy passed away, I think, in the 90s. So per, there's no really personal attachment to his aura or his story or the gossip that surrounds him. I personally don't care too much about the life that he specifically lived. I don't think it really matters. A quote that he repeatedly states in all of his lectures, I've noticed, and I'm three lectures in now, is, um, you know, don't point, don't look at the... Finger that's pointing to the moon, right? Look at the moon. Um, so he's the finger pointing to the moon. I don't really care about the controversy around him or however he really lived. I like and I have enjoyed listening to him because a lot of the information that he has presented has been really helpful for me in seeing our our world, our reality, our simulation in a different light. And so I'm grateful for that. So that's why I'm encouraging you to do the same. So one thing that he said is, if you want to learn to lose a dream, you ask yourself throughout the day, is this real? Is this real? Is this real? And if you do that for months, eventually you will ask yourself that same question while you're dreaming. And then that will be the cue that wakes you up. I've taken that and I took that a step further. And instead of doing it like in order to get myself to the point where I can wake up while I'm dreaming and have a lucid dream, I do that throughout the day, period, because that is a constant, it's like a mantra for me. It has become a mantra for me. And it's a constant reminder to me that just as when I'm watching a show, a TV show, and I'm going like, why are we why are we yelling at this character on the TV for behaving a particular way? I, I pause to remind myself, it's just a show. It's just a show, this is not real. And I'm doing my I'm doing the same thing now in my own life. In, in when I interact with people, to avoid getting caught up in the criticism and the condemnation and the judgment, uh, the judgments that we are all sort of hypnotized by as we live our lives. So that's what I want to share with you guys today. You know, throughout the week, we, I'm, I'm so grateful to have you guys listening. Um, you know. I'm sure you guys can relate. It's hard, I guess. Um, well, people have told me it's hard finding other people to talk to about these sort of things, and when I see that more and more people are listening, and you know, referring their friends, like that's encouraging to me because it means that more and more people are becoming more conscious and more open to perceiving reality in a way that's different than what we've been programmed to perceive reality. And I my hope is that by sharing the thoughts that I have, I have these random thoughts that I have throughout the week that I go, you know what, that would be great to share on the podcast. I bet you somebody can get something out of that. I love having the outlet and I love having listeners more and more tuning in and listening. Um, and I, I'm truly grateful for that. and I And I hope that You know, it's helpful at the very least, so you don't feel like you're alone, you know, with your thoughts and with your observations. Um, But also because it, it, to me, I think it inspires people. My own podcast inspires me to view the world from a different perspective and, like, from a more sort of uh, not uh, like so absorbed in it that you get lost in the story like we're more as an observer like and a viewer right so consciously and um and the more and more i'm able to do that on a daily basis and and avoid getting caught up in people's drama and, and and that's not a judgment it's just saying that if you live unconsciously you will get caught up in people's drama You will create your own drama. That is the nature of the simulation. I've said in my other podcast, uh, Dark Oracle's Guide to the Multiverse, I've likened this reality to a sort of futuristic virtual reality um, entertainment type of system where you embody different personas. And I'm going to expand upon that on this episode. So throughout the week, I've been thinking of like, okay, how do I like really delve into it? And this is like a very creative approach to perception to our perception or present per- perception of reality, right? So I want to do what this quote that I started this episode about, um, or I started this episode with, I want to do what the guy Lotto basically says that we should do, right? He says, we have to fight for our ability to imagine the world we want because one form of oppression is telling people that they are not allowed to imagine something better and happier. So we live, we look in this world right now and a lot of a couple of things kind of popped into my mind like this week for example um the cushion on my painting chair gave out and while i was painting i didn't realize it until i got up and when i got up my back was like in an extreme like just excruciating excruciating pain and in the midst of the pain one i've mentioned in past episodes how i actually when i feel pain instead of just resounding myself to, oh my God, this is painful, and then just feeling the pain. I actually try to dissect the feeling of pain, and I ask myself, okay, why is this painful? What is pain? And I really delve into that, and I've noticed that you can toggle and use your mind when you pay attention to something that's painful. You can almost transform something that is painful to a pleasurable experience. If it's a pain in the back, it you can administer a sort of pain relief just by becoming super conscious of what that feeling is and dissecting it with your mind and approaching it logical. Okay. What, what is that like? Okay. Is that, is that pressure? Is this a sharpness? It it feels like, like pain, uh, like pleasure, right? If you take a If you are in pain right now, which more than likely you are, right? That's the one thing about this reality that I've noticed, at least personally for me. For the most part, a lot of days, um, a lot of my days are filled with pain on some level. Either it's pain from slouching or a lower back pain, or like I tried to do my nails yesterday and the nail that I put on was like too small. So it like dug into my skin. So I took the nail off, um, but there's like still this residual pain. So as I'm talking to you guys, I'm touching my finger where the, the, uh, the nail was, uh, the artificial nail was, and it feels, you know, it feels what I would interpret as, as pain. But it's funny because the more I keep kind of trying to ask myself, okay, I have labeled it pain, but what does it really feel like? All right. And I'm trying to like analyze it. The more I'm trying to grasp the concept of pain and Logically disseminate it, the more dull the pain feels, and the less it feels, and it's almost like not even quote painful at at all and so you almost have to ask yourself like the levels of pain that we feel, how much of it is like socially driven, right? how much of that is amplified because you have been more or less programmed that you know, if you feel something, this is pain and you should react in this way instead of like breaking it down. Right. And I've talked about this in previous episodes. so I apologize for the repetition for my regular listeners, but you know, I've spoken about, um, uh, Stoic, um, Seneca and Montaigne. They wrote in their books about how like, Other cultures deal with pain compared to like Western cultures, and it's simply because their society's experience or cultural experience with pain is different from ours, right? And so, pain more or less is objective. So, if pain is objective, if me being from, you know, being in America can experience or I experience pain differently than somebody, say, in, you know, Africa, who you know has lived there all their life and they have a different cultural experience with pain, then pain itself is merely another construct, right Pain itself is merely another construct of the mind, right because it varies it differs by culture how people experience pain. They say women in the West experience uh, the pains of childbirth. Um, it's heightened because there's almost this expectation for it to be extremely painful. And so it's amplified in the West, whereas in other cultures and and cultures in the past, um, women weren't really expected to scream while in delivery the way we have been shown these images of women who truly suffer in childbirth. And as a result, their childbirth and their pain tolerance is actually higher because they don't expect it they don't expect the pain to be as intense as we expect it. Um, <laughs> I've been trying to like, or I have been trying to wax myself. Um, and I talked about this, I think in quarantine self-care tips. Oh, real quick, um, side note. If you're going to follow the nails tutorial on that on that episode, just go ahead and use the super glue on your nails. It's fine. Because mm-hmm. I, I try to do it like gluing the nail to the gel bit. And then the gel like kind of was like, I still had to soak it. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to soak it. So good. I kind of like when the, the nails just kind of pop off because um, it also, then I can just glue it back on. Anyway, just a side note, way side note, back to, to, to topic. Um, so yeah, so pain differs, right? The feeling of pain differs depending on what society that you're in. So then if that's the case, then it's not something that's across the board. And then if it's not something that's across the board, then it's it's a cultural construct. And if it's a cultural construct, then it's just another type of an illusion. And so if it's an illusion, then you can, by becoming conscious of the processes behind it, you can lessen the effect of the illusion on your psyche. That's just pain, right? Um, so I, I thought of, you know, I, I was thinking about that. Why is it that we, throughout our lives, for the most part, constantly are feeling pain? But, and simultaneously, right? Like, you, you can, not simultaneously, so like suddenly, you can be sitting, minding your own business, and you stand up and you feel a throng of pain. You never stand up and feel like, and get an orgasm. Like, what, what's that about? <laughs> right? Like, why is it that you can ex- expect to feel something painful as you get older? throughout your day even, right? But you never really expect to feel something, just a sudden burst of pleasure, unless you're like taking like a drug or something like that, right? If you're taking weed or whatever, right? Then you can feel a gush of uh, pleasure, but it's not something that your body spontaneously creates the way it spontaneously creates pain and i wonder if that's something that's as a result of our cultural impression and i wonder if you socialized people particularly from you know birth and you socialized children to turn things that feel painful to maybe pleasure like the way i've been talking about then maybe our lives can be less pain centered pain centered and actually more balanced right it's weird what I'm talking about, but I'm sure in a couple of weeks I'll find an article <laughs> like I found this article um more concisely explaining what it is that I'm talking about. Now, along that same line, another quote that Osho um stated was he said, you know, we are constantly asking what's the worst that can happen, right? And we're never we're not programmed to ask what's the best that can happen, right? And another thing he said was We're always saying, this is too good to be true. This is too good to be true. Which speaks to another cultural construct, another cultural programming that we are reacting to where something is going well and we're like bracing ourselves for like, okay, Quote, when is the shoe gonna when's the other shoe gonna drop? Like this is too good to be true. How can we never ask ourselves, how can we we don't have the same equivalent on the opposite end though? What where your life is just completely falling apart and by <laughs> the mere fact that things are going bad it doesn't make you doubt your very existence, right? If when things are going super well and too and quote too good, it makes you doubt your existence. It makes you doubt reality. Why don't we have that on the opposite end? And as I'm saying this quote, I'm 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 left thinking of the quote by the architect, I believe it was the architect or it might have been agent, one of the agents, um, who said when they first created the construct, when they first created the Matrix, they actually had it where everything was like a utopia. And for some reason, humanity, the, you know, the mind of, a, of human beings could not accept everything being good as reality. It needed conflict. It needed stress. It needed strife. It needed pain. It needed suffering in order for the, for the reality to, quote, feel more real. And as I'm saying that quote, I'm thinking of my podcast, I think it was episode 15 titled Wake Up Neo, which I'm now realizing that that quote that I just mentioned from The Matrix was clearly the inspiration to what I was talking about on that episode, where I said that it is our suffering that makes the simulation feel more real, right? We live in a a reality, we live in in a construct where Everything is dual. But then, like I said, if we can experience simultaneous outbursts of pain, right, then where's the balance of that? Without drugs, there has to be a balance of that. Why can't I, if I can get up and suddenly feel a rush of pain in my back, why can't the opposite happen? Why can't I get up and suddenly feel the same random rush, but of like an orgasm of of pleasure, Right? Clearly, something is happening, or we're almost out of balance on the opposite end. And given the nature of our reality being a dual, you know, a dual reality, if there's light, then there's darkness. If there's shadow, then there's light. If there's um, pain, then there's pleasure. If there's black, then there's white. If there's up, then there's down, right? There's everything, yin and yang, is everything in this reality is duality. And that's in that, if that's the case, then one, me feeling pain every day. But not feeling the same level of pleasure on the opposite end, right, means that I'm out of balance somewhere. And if I'm out of balance somewhere, it's not because I want to feel pain. It's that somehow, on some level, I've subscribed to some some belief, some ideology that pain, that suffering, should be, you know, the norm or is normative, and I've accepted that as real, and so I am psychically or psychologically manifesting suffering for myself and if that's the case then that means that if I make myself conscious of it or by making myself conscious of this fact then I can use my consciousness to flip it and to return myself to a sense of balance and when you say things like this is too good to be true that should that should bring you pause, and that should ask yourself in a world that's as balanced as the one that we found ourselves in, why is it that we are programmed particularly in this culture to accept horrible things as normative rather than being a sign of something you know not being right, right, but when something is good, like we are programmed to to be fearful of things going too well, right? As being a sign of something's not quite right. I really want you to think about that. Like I really, really, really wanted you to take what I've said and I'm repeating it for a reason, but really meditate deeply on that and then think about how that has applied to your life and the life that you've constructed for yourself. Because a lot of the time, a lot of us also Put ourselves in situations where we create pain for ourselves, and we do it unconsciously. But on some level, it's almost like because that th- these situations that create suffering and pain almost makes us it it strengthens the ego, right? And it makes the ego feel real. It, ma- it makes your experiences feel real. It makes the simulation feel real. And that's part of the construct, right? To me, in my opinion and on my observation, the mere fact that there's no counter to that, right? There's no counter to that. Where when you're saying, you know, something feels too good to be true, but we don't say something feels too bad to be true, tells me that that's just further evidence that we're in a simulation, to me. And the mere because that's something that is existing without balance, and if it's existing without balance, then that's uh that's been that's a that's somebody's tampered with the uh, with reality in that sense to make it so that on one level people are basically programmed to accept suffering as normative, but then pleasure as um a sign that something's not right really think about that, and then if that's the case. Take that mindset and then apply it to your life, and then say, okay, well, I, I don't want to live like this. I don't want to live in a world where I'm accepting that suffering means that this is real. All right? So, look at let's take 2020. We are, have now gotten ourselves in the situation now where anything bad happens. Everybody throws their arms up and goes, oh, it's 2020. And it's funny to me because it's like a meme, right? That has sort of evolved. And we've got fi- fires in California. We've got um, hurricane that's about to hit like, um, the Gulf. And then NASA is saying that there is a, an asteroid that's going to come close to hitting the United States or I should say earth rather. I don't think the United States, but it's going to come close to hitting earth, um, in November and everybody chucks their, their hands up and go, oh shit, 2020. And I'm like, yo, like, no, stop doing that. (laughs) It's like, we need to stop doing this. First of all, um, California's always catching on fire. Like it's hot over here <laughs> first of all. Like we've been having fires. Like have we forgotten? This is not a twenty twenty thing. We had fires last year, we had fires a couple of years ago. We had really, really bad fires and, and it keeps happening consistently. Like I remember like you could see from San Diego, you could see the the smoke and, and all of that and there was like you know, air advisory warnings and things like that. This is not brand new to 2020. It's not like we were living in a fucking utopia. And then all of a sudden, all this shit started happening. And usually right when there, there are fires, shortly after that, there are hurricanes. Like this happens every year, folks. This is not brand new. And then as far as the asteroid is concerned, um, if you actually read the article, it says it's like a 0.41% chance of the asteroid like even coming close to earth but because we're caught up in this 2020 like meme now we have allowed ourselves to accept negative events as normative especially in the year 2020 and not and and very few few people very few people pause and go to me if that's the case then Maybe this is just further evidence of us being in a simulation, right? And those people are the ones who are pausing and they're saying, this is too bad to be true. It's almost like finding yourself in a nightmare and realizing like, there's no way this shit is real. Like, <laughs> I mean, how could it just be one thing after another thing, after another thing, after another thing, I need to wake up, right? But for the majority of people, one thing after another thing, after another thing, after one another thing that's negative, that happens in their lives, Isn't a wake-up call for them. It's for them, it's actually something that encourages them to keep suffering because to them it makes life feel more real. And on the opposite end, you have people who they have, you know, they have luck or, or they achieve you know fame or wealth or whatever, you know, from a very young age, and life almost to them, because they're Raised in the same society that programs you not to say, this is, you know, too bad to be true, right? And to question when things are too good to be true, they almost live what should be good and happy lives. They almost live um, miserably, and a lot of them end up committing suicide because they're living in a society that has programmed them to think, to you know, if something is quote too good to be true you know, brace yourself kind of thing, right? And all I'm saying is balance it out, right? Stop and ask yourself, if, if I can say, well, this is too good to be true, right? I can also say, well, what what's happening right now is too bad to be true. And I can use both things to kind of balance each other out, both ideologies to balance each other out and understand, right? And arrive at the mindset that, okay, this is illusion, right? Either there are no illusions or everything is an illusion, right? Either there are no illusions, which is not true, or everything is an illusion right So now let's talk about the ego. Let's tackle the ego on my other podcast, The Dark Oracle's Guide to the Multiverse, I discuss um what the ego is, and to me, the ego is the persona, it's the false mask it's the per it's the person that you see in the mirror that you have identified as yourself. It's your body, right? And your body is a, it comes pre-programmed with its own voice, like the inner monologue that you listen to in your head that you think is you and that you've mistaken for you isn't really you, it's the voice of the body. And it has its own personality. And it's all ego, right? It's almost like having a car that has like, a very, very, very um, hyper-specialized Siri, right? And the Siri has its own name and its own personality, its own behavior. And then imagine now being in this car for like the majority of your life, right? And you think that that car is you, right? Because you can't get out of the car for the most part, right? I mean, some people can have out-of-body experiences or whatever, but imagine like you're born in this car, It's a machine and it allows you, it's like a VR machine slash AR machine that allows you to kind of drive around and navigate through earth, right? And you can't leave the car. And every time you look in the mirror with your car, all you see is the car, right? After a while, you start thinking you're a car kind of thing. And now imagine that car has its own personality, right? And there's you, the driver, but there's also the car with its own personality. But because you're so identified With that car, you start to mistake the car's Siri or Alexa as who you really are, as your thinking voice, right? But it's all part, it's just part of the program, right? So your body, your mind is just part of this program. It's not evil. It's not bad. It's just part of this program, the simulated reality we've all found, we all find ourselves in. Um, The very same way as the analogy that I use is imagine in the future, um, Disney has like theme parks, but instead of you going and riding on a ride, you can go and actually become Iron Man and live out his story life, his storyline, as you've seen in all the Iron Man movies and the Avenger movies, or you can like create your own storyline, right? And so when you put that helmet on, you are Tony Stark, while you're playing as Tony Stark, you think you're Tony Stark. So the the life that he lives in all the movies that you've seen becomes your life and you feel what he feels and, or whatever. And then at the end, when he snaps his finger and, you know, um, spoiler alert, uh, kills Thanos. Um, <laughs> uh, if you haven't seen it at this point. Anyway, uh, <laughs> then you take the helmet on and then you're back to whomever you were before you put the helmet on. All right. So, that's who you are now, but like on steroids. And I and I want you to my extrapolate. My favorite thing to do is extrapolate from the micro to the macro. All right. Walk with me here. So let's think about where we are right now. And let's think about people in the past. People in the past, the ancient Hindus and the Buddhists and things of that nature, um, they all said that life was a quite quote, dream. And they said it was a game. It was like an illusion. It was Maya, it was Leela. So they use words, right? We're all taught the same song, life is but a dream when we're children. They use words to describe, they use the words that they knew and they had to try their best to describe the reality that they found themselves in, particularly for future generations. So they use words like illusion, like dream, like Maya, like Leela, like a false reality. Same thing with uh, Nietzsche, same thing with Schopenhauer, with all these other thinkers. They all kind of said the same thing that reality is a false construct. If they would have had access to a VR helmet, they wouldn't have used the word dream or illusion because they would have had a different word and they once they put once they put the helmet on and they look and they look around, the people who the ancients who said, this is, you know, uh, was it Plato, Plato's allegory of the cave. If you would have given Plato a VR helmet, say you can go back in time and you hand, no, you go back in time, you grab Plato and bring his ass here. You set up a camera and you put a helmet on his head and you give him a remote and you turn the game on. Plato would have been like, what is this called? What is this HTC vibe called? And you would have said, it's, uh, it's a, so situ- you're playing a simulation. He would have taken the helmet on, t- taken the helmet off rather, and would have turned to you, shaking your hand, and said, This is exactly what I meant in the allegory of the cave. We are in a video game, right? This is a simulation. Life is a simulation. But they didn't have electricity back then, and they didn't have access to the technology that we have now. So they used the words that they did have access to, like dream, because they everybody dreamt. Everybody dreams now. Everybody dreamt then. So to say life is a dream, you really have to pause and ask yourself, okay, what did the people back then really mean by that? Why would they use the word dream, right? To explain reality. It could have been, they could have called it anything, anything, any choice of words, but they said dream. They said illusion. They said game, right? Those are the words that their vocabulary and their life experiences afforded them. But if they had access to the same technology we had now, then they would have used the word simulation. And you know this. Man. Okay. So now let's think about what's happening now. So after 2020, we're going to start seeing an increase in technology, an increase in VR, an increase in self-driving cars, right? So technology is going to keep evolving. And we're going to basically start creating another simulation within this simulation and we already do that i mean people play video games forever you know they spend all day they get up in the morning and a lot of people like actually abandon their quote real life which is just this waking reality they will abandon their their real lives for games i mean to the point where you know in japan there have been issues of like young men creating virtual girlfriends because they can't connect with like real, quote, real women, right? So what does the quote say? Either there's no illusion or everything is an illusion, right? And it's just a type of illusion. So what I'm saying is this. Imagine right now our present timeline, okay? YouTube, what do you think, what do you imagine YouTube evolves into? Well, or, or TikTok, Right? Or Instagram. What do you imagine those sort of apps evolve into? Right. What's going? What would happen is basically those are the ancestors. Right. TikTok, um, HTC Vive, YouTube, uh, Instagram. Um, these are all quote ancestors for a futuristic version of a type of simulation where we're living in right now. Elon Musk and i forget the physicist that he was quoting um i'm not gonna remember it right now anyway but he was saying like this is more or less um an ancestor simulation right and for me i think oregon trails i don't know if you guys are old enough to have played oregon trails in school that was my first one of my first introductions to computer gaming right i mean we all had like our Mario brother game and Game Boy and Nintendo and things like that. But to sit at a computer and you know move the mouse around, that was my first sort of interaction to computer gaming was Oregon Trails. And Oregon Trails was like an ancestor simulation. And so Elon Musk and the like, I can't think of the scientists right now who basically said that there's no chance that this is base level reality. And there's like a 25% chance that we're living in a simulation. Um, I'm saying there's a 100% chance we're living in a simulation. So I'm taking it uh, three steps forward. I um, can't think of his name. Anyway, but imagine the precursor to that game. Well, those, the precursor to the simulation reality that we're in now, right? If you watch Altered Carbon, um, is that a good reference? Forget Altered Carbon. Um, back to what I'm saying. <laughs> it will come to me. Um, but the precursor to... This world that we're living in now would have to be something like a TikTok and a YouTube and an Instagram, right? And what I mean by that is this if these apps become more and more ingrained in our culture, you're going to start seeing more and more people, you know, opening accounts and broadcasting their lives, right? Everybody's got, like, pretty much everybody's got an Instagram account now or a Facebook account or some sort of. Profile on the internet on, in their cyber world where they have a, a cyber name a cyber handle, and they film their lives every day and then they upload it into you know clouds into servers for other people to watch. What do you think like a hundred years from now, something like that would evolve into well it would evolve into not us filming stuff on our phone like the next step is okay we 're getting away from our phones and i saw something about once again Elon Musk talking about he wants to implant some sh- some some stuff to our brains right so we can stream music directly into our brains well the next thing is just being able to have like an ocular camera where you're not f- setting up a you know up a camera to film you anymore than uploading it this is all happening in your mind and now people are watching your life from your eyes the way they watch your life now but from your phone that's the next step it's going to maybe be a, 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 a glasses at first and then it might you know evolve or some would argue devolve devolve into like um you know camera lenses you know right now there's lasik and you can get like a LASIK, like a lens inserted into your eye now imagine somebody comes up with a lens that has like bluetooth capabilities and it can get inserted i mean that's in, that's intense but maybe maybe not like a surgically <laughs> inserted into your lens but maybe like a contact lens that's thin and and you know breathable and things of that nature but now you can record everything that you're seeing through your eyes right that's where that's that's where that's going and i'm making the argument that that's where we already are and that every single person alive right now is their own channel, and that outside of the construct, there is another society of human beings that are subscribing to your life right now. Think about it. I think, like legit, think about it. You just think about how weird a life has been. Like it, you. We're in. We're in this world. We can't leave. And NASA says that they go here and they go there, or whatever. But at the end of the day, you can't leave, right? None of us can really leave unless you're a scientist or uh, an astronaut, or you're you got you know money and can go out to SpaceX. And even still, we're more or less secluded to um, low orbit. So it almost feels like a kind of Truman Show type of thing, right? Where it's a closed system and. Nobody can leave. Every once in a while, something kind of crashes the system in the sense of like in the same way with the Truman Show where characters from outside the game or outside of the show would come in and kind of crash it. And for Truman, he's watching it like, what the fuck is that? Because he doesn't realize that he's on a TV show. Everybody else does, right? I'm taking that argument a step further. And I'm saying like, this is some sort of, this world right now is some sort of futuristic reality, virtual reality show, and that you have people viewing your life right now, right? And I'm going to go a step further and say that you, you chose to come in and that you, you know, you signed up for this. So it's not like you're being held. It's not like a zoo. Okay. I don't like that sort of mindset. It's not like a zoo. I think I would say that you are, you constructed your persona you constructed your body, your personality before you came into the game, the way you construct it and you construct your persona, your avatar before you enter into the Sims, right? And then you go in and then you just, you live your life. And then people outside of earth can tune in and watch different people or subscribe to different people. So I have my subscribers, my husband has his subscribers, you have your subscribers and you have people who literally watch you. And then I like I'm weaving in, I want to weave in like Hunger Games but like without the murder <laughs> of children. Um in the sense of like you if you are entertaining enough, um you could get sponsors that will, you know, come in and will somehow you know, send you money because all of a sudden like you find yourself like walking and you see a twenty dollar bill on the floor and you don't know how it got there or you get a promotion or whatever. My argument is that this is existing, this is occurring outside of the game where like your viewers or something are like chipping in and then they're affecting the outcome of your life. Right? There was this one show I will not be able to think of the name right now, but I saw it on YouTube and I watched it very briefly and it was uh, this one guy who was like on a hidden camera show and the hidden camera show was viewed by a studio audience and they were all wearing masks. And this poor guy didn't know that he was on a show and the people in the audience that were all masks would choose what would happen to him, to him throughout the day. And the, it was more a study on the audience and how they behaved if they knew that they weren't observing or that, that people didn't know that they were being observed. Does that make sense? If they were anonymous, right? It was more a study on how people behave when they're anonymous, more so than it was like meant to be like entertaining to watch this guy, um, kind of have people outside of himself like make choices for him, and then he has to react to it. Um, long story short, what the show proved or showed was that when people are allowed to behave if people are giving when people are given masks or people are given like the air of anonymity they behave in very sociopathic ways so if you catch your life you find that your life is sort of out of control and there's these bad things that keeps happening you might want to pause and like look around and say okay is there like a a studio audience right now watching me that I'm not aware of, that's like navigating my life, you know, for their entertainment. And I'm saying that and as I'm saying this, like, I know like people are thinking like, oh my gosh, is this like a paranoid delusion to think that you're being watched and things like that? No, this whole episode has just been more along the lines of what I was talking about and what I mentioned in um, the quote that I read at the beginning of this episode, which is just allowing people the freedom to imagine something different, right? He says better and happier, but I'm trying to take you down that path. If you could start with something different, then you can follow up with something better or happier, right? So just bear that in mind. Um, I'm not trying to feed anybody's like feelings of paranoia or anything like that. Just trying to present to you a different perspective on the nature of reality. If you can imagine... That our world is some form of entertainment right that 's all i 'm saying, so it 's more fun, It's more fun than serious, something to think about. There is a chance that it could be true we don 't really fucking know right that 's part of why you 're you know while you're in the game, unless you break the the third wall, which I guess i 'm kind of doing right now <laughs> by talking about this, um but maybe that 's what I do on my channel right maybe that's like I said to my cousin, I said, whoever's watching me if if, if my theories are accurate or precise. Whoever is watching me is, you know, the, probably the type of people that are really into like Bob Ross, because that's all I do is paint. Like all I do is paint and I talk or whatever. And some people might be really into it. I mean, people are really into Bob Ross in our reality. So, but I, I do genuinely try to go out of my way to avoid any kind of drama and any type type of chaos that I possibly can. And it's funny because what he said to me in a different conversation was that, um, so his girlfriend is uh, Mexican. And her family, they watch a lot of novellas, like uh, telenovelas. And I don't know if you've ever watched like a Mexican like telenovela, but they're really dramatic. And he says it's interesting because it almost seems like a result of them watching these telenovelas makes it so that their lives become sort of just as dramatic as the shows that they're watching. And what I said to him was, well, how do you know <laughs> that you know the television shows that they watch that they watch and they, you know they binge watch if you're doing that unconsciously it could very well influence your actual life you know and then i said well take it a step further how do we know that that's not like the lives that we live just in general aren't largely influenced by our Basically, like there's an underlying desire for our ego. Remember, I said that there, your ego is the persona and the personality of the persona that you've more or less you think it's you when you look in the mirror. Uh, terminologies I've used be before is that you've uploaded your consciousness into this avatar that you call your body, that you call yourself, but it's not really yourself. It's a construct. It's a pre-programmed, pre predetermined construct um, of a personality that you created before you entered the game or maybe was created for you like in the case of Iron Man and then the real you kind of logs on and enters into this reality if you're if you find yourself living a life that seems more like fiction than than it should be maybe pause and ask yourself like why all of this stuff is happening and is your life entertainment for people like in another multiverse it's funny because um Rick and Morty kind of talk about this a little bit. I mean, in play, of course, in Jess, on the show um, on Rick and Morty, um, where uh, Grandpa, uh, is it Rick? Grandpa Rick? Yeah, Grandpa Rick, like he breaks the fourth wall and he talks directly to the viewers and he's like, I know that I'm on a show. And I guess that's what I'm trying to do <laughs> now with this episode. Like I'm intentionally breaking the fourth wall in this reality because, again, what did I say? Like it's either all of it is illusion or none of it is illusion right or take it a step further it's both so all I'm saying is I'm playing with you a little bit but I also kind of want you to give it some serious thought like ask yourself like think about how a lot of us are driven by drama not myself um, but a lot of our lives are driven by drama and for the most part the ego is what's driving the drama right And as I've said in previous episodes, it's almost like the ego needs that drama in order to make itself feel real. But if the program of your ego is to make this false reality, this construct, this simulation feel more real, then yeah, of course it's going to choose the most dramatic, the most consciously, uh, the most unconscious situation that it can put you into, the most suffering, heavy, um, drama-filled, in my opinion, drama is suffering, um, situations it can, it can possibly can in order to possibly make sure that the people who are subscribed to your channel are entertained. If, that's, if If what I'm saying is true, right? And then if that's the case, then if you, you know, if you're happy with that and you want to kind of live this very dramatic life, you can do that. But do, if you can do that with the understanding that you are playing towards an audience and being conscious of the fact that it's not real, it's all an illusion, then you can live a dramatic life, I guess, if that's what you want, without the inherent bone like heart crushing, difficult and intense suffering. I always kind of wonder, um when I watch shows and movies, what differentiates like a good actor from like a quote, bad actor? it's subtle it is really subtle, but you can see, you can almost you can obviously not almost you can always tell like the rock, for example, when if you watch some of his older movies, Dwayne Johnson, I think it was like the rundown like he was trying to act, right And then as he's gotten more seasoned, like he's become more himself. And I I remember watching the rundown and going like, what is it about Dwayne Johnson in this scene? that where I look at him, I go, okay, he's clearly acting. But then when I look at like um, Rosario Dawson standing next to him, it's like she's not acting kind of thing. Right? What makes somebody a, quote, bad actor or acting badly? And I've kind of guessed, like, is it the eyes? Like, is it what they do in their eyes? I don't know. I honestly don't know. All I can do is kind of guess. I'm sure somebody who's more seasoned in acting could probably... You know, cue me in. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, feel free to leave me a comment and explain, like, what makes a good actor versus a bad, bad actor. But if I had to guess, I think it's on a, on a level, it's, it's belief, right? It's the belief. So it's almost like method acting. A lot of actors are really good at becoming, like, they believe they are those characters. And it's something that they're doing in their mind. Right? And because they have, they believe that they are the character that the the director and the producer has, you know, and the writers have constructed for them, they believe that they're the Joker. They believe that they are, um, I don't know what else, um, you know, a king or whatever, King Harry or whatever, or, you know, Jon Snow. They believe that they are actually this character, so much so that a lot of actors who play the, 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 a particular role for a very long time end up suffering from depression because it's like once they no longer can play that character again because the show ends or whatever, it's like they lose a part of themselves because they literally became that character while they were filming, right? While the show was on air. And I'm saying if your brain, I love, I'm loving this episode right now. I'm patting myself on the back because um it's so great, like I'm looking forward to listening to to this episode, and i'm half parting pat myself on the back, but it's like it's not like it's me that's coming up with this on my own right the, the information's just coming out of me, and i'm just I just happen to be a vessel, so this is me trying to humble myself because my ego is trying to take over there but um but a lot of actors like they 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 become the roles and then when the show is over, the movie's over, they fall into this depression because it's like a part of them is gone. A part of them is dead. And I'm arguing that, okay, if there's a part of your brain that allows you to pick up whatever personality that you that is given to, to you and adapt that and adopt that and become that, how do you know that you're not doing that already now? So that person that you see when you look in the mirror you think that's me, is not really you because why why would your brain have it in you to especially if you're an actor to become something else and a lot of actors too when they they act so much it's like I think just to protect themselves like eventually you find that they just end up playing just themselves in just different roles those aren't like the super deep you know method actors those are the ones who they they just go okay I'm Instead of becoming this character, because maybe they just can't handle it, you know, I'm sure it does something to your psyche, right? They just go, okay, I'm just going to be me, but in this role, or I'm going to be like Samuel Jackson. Samuel Jackson is literally just Samuel Jackson in every movie he's in, but just by different names, right? So there are other different types of people. But... What I'm saying and I'm reiterating is that there's got to be a part of your brain that is programmed to accept whatever name, personality, type, right, that's, that's given to you as real and then you believe it and then it shows, right? And so when you interact with people who are engulfed by ego, they are so protective of their ego because like that ego is them. Right? So they're caught in the simulation, they're caught in the game, um, they're caught in the construct, and they believe that the, the, they're method acting, like they're legit method acting. But instead of method, method acting like a role that a director gave them and a TV show, they're method acting in the simulation. So they believe that that's who they are. And then as a result, you've got to be really careful when you talk to those type of people, type of people because it's not them really, like they're so in that role that you, you almost can't like get through to the person behind the role. And those are, of course, extreme versions of that. I think all of us on, on some level or another suffer from the ego, largely for, I should say, a lot of us suffer from the belief that we are the masks that we wear, that we are the personas that we wear. So much so that we go out of our way and we be, create drama for ourselves in order to protect the ego, in order to make that ego and that personality feel real. And you see a lot of that in defensiveness. You see a lot of that in criticism. You see a lot of that in judgment of other people. This is something I've really had to work on. Um, And and you guys know that criticism and judgment particularly. But Osho and reading his books have been really helpful because it's caused me to pause and really look into myself and go okay what are you trying to defend this persona you you're not this person like you're just you're just using this form to experience the game right so that detach where you're not i'm no longer joe right i am a subscriber to this reality construct using a vehicle by the name of joe right and the more I ask myself, is this real? To remind myself that it's not, the more I can detach from the pool of the ego that wants me to protect her at all costs and make her real. So it feeds, the ego feeds off of your conscious energy. I've said this so many times. It feeds off the energy of your consciousness. It really does. And it uses your consciousness, which is real from the world outside of this reality. It uses that energy to manifest the persona in this one and make it more believable, more real, right? So a perfect, 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 perfect analogy of that is when you watch a movie and it's a, and an actor, he is, quote, bringing a character to life, right? So an actor is considered an artist for that reason. They take a concept that exists in the mind of a writer, a personality that exists in the mind of the writer, and the actor takes the the description, takes the you know, personality type, and then they use the power of their belief and their consciousness and they breathe life into this character that only existed in the mind of the writer and they make it real. Okay? So I'm going to say that again. Uh, uh, an actor is an artist because they use the power of their consciousness to take a character that only existed in the mind of a writer, of a director, of a producer, and they use their. Consciousness to breathe life to manifest even if it's just on film, even if it's just on TV, to manifest a character. That's an artist, right? Um, and make something that was intangible existing only on paper to a, a, a persona that you when you watch makes your heart race, makes your hair rise, makes your, your your blood boil in anger, makes your pupil dilate and things like that. Like that's what they're doing. And I'm arguing if it can, if you're seeing that on screen, the same thing is happening in this reality, in this construct, we're doing it consistently. And so some people, you, a lot of us, the majority of us actually get locked into that, right? So we're all kind of method acting. Well, not all of us, but a lot of us are method acting because once, once you come into the simulation, that's part of the game, right? You come into the simulation and you are, you are told from jump. This is your name. This is who you are. So it's not even like, okay, I've got to become this person, right? It's like, you're not even given the option of like, okay, this is the role that you're playing and this is who you're going to become. Like from, from birth, from inception, as soon as you enter into, you know, the construct, you're told this is your name. This is your name. This is your name, right? And the personality traits that come with your persona that you get from your mom or for your dad or whatever, it's just, it's already built in it's built into the psyche, so you almost don't even have to act, so it's, like, a new level of acting, right, where, imagine, once again, like, everything evolves, right, so, if you watch movies from, like, the 20s, right, when things were, like, black and white, and there was no sound, and how people acted, and then you compare acting to, like, the 60s, and then you compare acting in the 80s, and then compare acting in the 2000, and acting in the 2020s, like, or now, like, recently, like, the level of acting is, like, insane, right, like, like, People are like, it went like in the past when uh, an actor would kiss another actor or whatever, an actress or whatever, like they wouldn't even kiss. Like they would kiss like under the chin, they would kiss like to the side, da 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 da. They were like pretending. Now it's like people are kissing like dead in the mouth, like there's like spit. Like it's, it's like, are you guys acting or are y'all just like doing this? And there have been movies even where like, mainstream actors I can't think of one right now but I think Shia LaBeouf Where mainstream actors like legit have had sexual intercourse on camera So it's not even like they're you know it's not like pretending anymore like that things are becoming more and more and more and more real where like you're taking a character where if you take in the character in the same script and you gave it to an actor in the 80s right versus an actor I mean that would be actually interesting to see um, versus an actor who, in the 2010s or, or whatever, and then you watch them execute the lines, either, you'll see that the way that they go forward with it is vastly different. It's vastly different. Like, let's see, let's compare Captain Kirk in the classic Star, uh, star Trek episodes to like uh, Captain Kirk by, I think Chris Evans is his name, one of the Chris's, um, in the recent Star Trek episodes. It's different. Right. Like on one on the 60s version, you could tell like uh, he's acting. Right. Whereas in the modern version, it's like, you know, he's like legit, like has become Captain Kirk. So it's evolved. What's the next step? OK, so now imagine somebody has taken the personality, the construct of Captain James T. Kirk. Right. And now they're using AI. So it's a VR using AI. And it says Okay, Captain Kirk, uh, arrogant, like 10%, selfish, 15%, brave, 25%, right? And then the AI, this is the future. And I'm arguing that this is also what we are now, right? The AI takes all of those characters. You don't even have to really act anymore. The AI does all of that. And then you put on the helmet on and you're not watching actors playing the role anymore. You are now Captain Kirk. You put the helmet on. And the AI does stuff to your brain um, and it, you know, endorphins are released, however the fuck, like they know they've mapped the brain and they are mapping the brain. So this is not hard to imagine. We're there. We're almost there. Okay. So that becomes a future of entertainment. And so for the comfort of your home, you can plug in, you can put on a mask and you now enter the Star Trek universe. And you can play as uh Captain Kirk or you can pay play as um I damn like I'm having like brain freezes right now. I can't even think of like uh was it a Yeah, anyway. Um Spock, yeah, you can play like all these different characters, but it's all in your in your in your helmet, right? And or you can just play like a base level character. You can be a red shirt. <laughs> if that's your thing. Um and I'm saying, like, that's basically, obviously, going to be the future of entertainment. Like, if you, if you, the way we look at superstars now and actors now, it's like, okay, great. Like, you know, a lot of people worship actors because of what they can do, right? But a hundred years from now, actors are going to be a thing of the past, right? Because AI is going to evolve us past needing to watch an actor play a role. To now, like, why would you want to fucking watch Scarface, right? When you can be a character in Scarface? Is it Tony Montana? People get, yeah, Tony. Why would you want to watch Scarface if you can be Tony Montana? Right? Majority of people, some people might be cool with watching, which I'm saying, this is why I'm saying, like, there are people who are outside of the construct watching us right now right? But there are some people who would be like, nah, fuck that. Like, why would I want to watch Scarface? I, I want to feel his anger, right? Because right now when we watch TV, it's more, we empathize with the characters or we sympathize with the characters. So when they're scared, we kind of get a little scared or whatever from watching that because there's like a trick in your mind kind of when you it sees something that it, it kind of imitates it. Now imagine it's a VR simulation that you put on and you're not watching an actor play the role anymore the the set has already been designed like those guys are still going to be in business so your set design would be great camera would be great great or whatever but you can either play on your own or you can play with other actors and which are other subscribers and so you you play as um let's go back to the marvel universe and you want to play as tony stark play as tony stark you can log in the way you log into world of warcraft and it's not like okay so you're the tony stark or whatever you just happen to be the tony stark in that server um and then there's somebody else that you may or may not know like your neighbor or something like that or somebody in china they decide they're going to play as pepper and now you're playing together and you're interacting with people across not just you know the world, but across the multiverse, and they all logged into this one game, and now they're just having these experiences. But it's not just your game, that's just one server. There are other servers that have other Tony Starks, that have other people who are able to play with them um, as well, and that's what a parallel multiverse is. It's just another server, all right? So, so think about that. This is fun stuff to think about. So, after all of that, now get back to your ego. This knowledge for me, and it's something like I said, it's hard knowledge it 's not head knowledge, like I still obviously have my doubt, and i don't expect you to believe anything that I'm saying, like I said, it's all playful, it's all theory, but there is some science behind what i'm saying there's a lot of science behind a lot of what i'm saying, and it's not that much of a stretch to imagine that this is this is for sure possible in the future but if all of time is happening right now then the argument is that if it's possible in the future then it already exists now all right so knowing all that in the heart at the very least has helped me when I deal with people because now my approach to people is instead of judging a person next to me and like if I drive past somebody and they cut me off my old self would be like you're a fucking idiot right but I don't call a character on a TV show a fucking idiot because I, now I understand as a viewer, as an artist, I know the, the detail as an artist and a writer, I know the detail that goes into, you know, okay, what do I, aesthetics, what are the aesthetics for my character? What do I want her hair to look like? What do I want her to smile like? What do I want her to smell like? What, how do I want her to walk? Like, a lot of writers take a lot of time to birth a, per, a persona, right? To create a character, to give it a personality, to make it that much real. And, and, and a lot of personalities, when you watch a movie or a TV show, are very quirky. Right. They're very interesting. Like in previous episode, I mentioned Monroe in uh the Grimm TV show. He's one of my favorite characters because of his build is very interesting. I find him very unique. I like the way that they have him wear his hair and his, his facial hair and the way he behaves. And, you know, thought went into that, right? And I'm an artist and I know how, how hard it is. Just I paint portraits. And for one painting of just one person... I could use anywhere from 20 to 100 different reference po- uh, photos to get like the finger right, to get the fabric right, to get the lighting right, to get the shadow under the neck right, to get the eyes right, to get the nose right, to get the hair right, to get the texture right, to get the backdrop right, all of this stuff. Right? So if somebody walked up to my painting and was like, that's a stupid painting. After I put all this time, like that's going to bother me a bit. And so I try not to do the same thing with other people that I interact with because I, I now am starting to understand that, one, somebody took time to write and create and produce their backstory that led them to be the person that they are now. So that's just a character. Another character in the simulation and I'm not gonna dismiss them as you know, you're know you this or you're that because I can respect the construct and the energy and the effort that went into creating that personality the way I can respect the construct and the energy and the effort that goes into creating a painting. So now it's like you start viewing the world the way artists view the world. I think that people respect artists because on some level they know that an artist is able to appreciate them for who they are. I think that artists, I can definitely speak for myself, the more I paint, the more I create, the more I start to view people differently. I have become less judgmental and I have almost like taken this sort of meditative subjective view maybe no, not subjective, objective view of people and and the, the nuances of their character. And the more I create, the more rich and diverse and intricate the world feels and people feel. You know, so I look at a person, right? I look like I look at my husband's face and maybe five, six years ago, I would look at him and just gone, oh, okay, that's, you know, my husband. Um, when I look at him today, I noticed things that I wouldn't have noticed 10 years ago. I wouldn't have noticed 15 years ago, right? Which is I notice like the way his eyes slope down and like, wrinkles, right? I notice the way his eyes smile when he smiles. You know, I notice when he laughs, like you start noticing like everything becomes like a meditation. The whole world becomes meditation. The whole world becomes rich. The whole world becomes alive. And I'm, I'm, I'm imploring you, to to do the same, come on this journey with me, because on some level you have to know, like you've questioned the nature of the re- of the reality you found yourself in. You had to, because you, the, first of all, you wouldn't have listened this far. If you're a regular listener, you wouldn't still be listening. So on some level, what I'm saying has to resonate with you. And I'm saying like, it doesn't even apply to have to apply to just artists. I've talked to people who. Aren't just artists that they are like, you know, they make video games or they build things or they're architects, right? So, or they're engineers or they're writers. When you start using your brain creatively, you almost have to start pulling inspiration from this world in order to make more art. But the thing is, if this world inspires your art, right? It's like the quote where it says, great artists steal but they steal from other artists then you almost have to give it to you have to give it up to the fact that this is some type of art right if you're inspired by this world then this world is some type of art and my argument and i've said is that it's not just one creator i don't believe in one god i believe that you know different you know, you, you like like in any game, and any in any show, in any construct, you're gonna have different entities that are responsible for different things. So if you ask, I was I always like to say this: if you ask an iPhone Siri, who created you? I don't know if they actually do this or not. I haven't tried, but theoretically, if you ask an iPhone, who created you? They're gonna say Steve Jobs. But it wasn't just Steve Jobs, right? It was Steve Jobs. It was Steve Wozniak. It was the marketing team, it was the design team, it was the electronics team, it was a, you get what I'm saying? So most people go, okay, it's the goddess that created um, this whole entire world. And I'm like, well, if this is a simulation and, and put ourselves in a capital, capitalistic society many years in the future, um, or a socio-capitalistic society, many years in the future, yes, maybe one person might be the head of it, the way like uh, Jeff Bezos is like the head of Amazon, but it's not just just Jeff Bezos running everything. It's not just Jeff Bezos that's in charge of delivery and in charge of Amazon Prime and in charge of Whole Foods. And no, like he might have been the you know the idea person, but it takes a lot of people to get a concept like Amazon going. It takes a lot of people to get a construct like Apple going, and it takes a lot of individuals and a lot of consciousness to get a construct like this reality going. You know, you look at a cockroach, and you look at a like a a sea insect or whatever. I don't know, and they're similar, right? So you you can tell like the people who created that is the same person. Or a better analogy would be like um, a scorpion to a lobster, right? They're similar, or a spider to a crab. They're similar. So there's an underlining theme. There, right. The same way, if you compare an iP- an iPhone to an iPad to a, a MacBook to a you know an iMac, right. There's an underlining theme. Different shapes, probably, obviously not as intricate as what you see in nature, but there's an underlining theme, right. So it's one company, but different um, uh, sections responsible for different things, right. But all one uniline uniline underlining um, uniform, uh, aesthetic throughout. And so there's a uniform aesthetic throughout our reality as well. And just as you, if you find yourself in a VR game, you can, you know, especially for the first time you pause and you look around, you do start to kind of admire the different things. And now we're living in a VR, uh, simulated reality where, you know, subscribers can also create things, right. And modify things. And so you, that's one of the beauties of art. It's like, wow, look at that. Like, a subscriber created this and to backtrack. So I think that that's why a lot of people love and respect and admire artists because when I I can speak for myself, but I love artists. Um, I'm an artist myself, but I love other artists because I know that there's a part of them that can look at me and go, even if it's not like, even if they don't believe what I'm saying on this podcast, there's a part of them that recognizes that whatever it is, it's responsible for constructing my form. Right, the shape of my eyes, the sound of my voice, you know, the feel of my skin, you know, the length of my nose, my smile, my laugh, all of these little details, there was thought there, you know, scientists, which are just the worst. <laughs> I apologize if you're a scientist, but honestly, like, I should say biologists, the, the ones who want to, oh, no, take it back, not scientists, because that's not fair, because that, that includes physicists and all that. And I have the deepest respects for physicists because they're the ones who are actually going down to, you know, the micro level of things and saying that, you know, this is all emptiness, this is all illusions. But uh, evolutionists, evolutionaryists, I've been talking too long, so I'm like stumbling over my words. Anyway, they tell us that all of this came from nothing. I'm not saying you have to believe in the biblical God. I don't. I'm not saying you have to believe in, you know, a man's construct of what God is I certainly do not but to say that all of the intricacies the math the science the the design the like all of the beauty the color schemes the aesthetics that we see every time you see a sunset to say that there was just a bang and all this happened by accident is so fucking insulting (laughs) like like I am it angers me because it's like you wouldn't walk into a museum and assume, like the audacity to assume that everything you see at the, at the MoMA was just by accident is an insult and a spit in the face of the people who gave their lives to create the forms that we see every day when we go to a museum or when you view an artist's page, you know, or go to their website or you go to an art gallery Like to just say that all of this stuff that we see is an insult. And it's also an insult to artists because it's like to devalue all that as accidental. It's like no wonder you have people just throwing paint on the canvas and calling that art. Like that feeds into that. You know, a lot of serious artists put a lot of time, effort, thought, mind, consciousness into their work. You know, and when they're not actively painting, they're they're actively observing, and to just say, "Oh, that's all by you know by accident," is so dismissive and so disrespectful. Like the audacity. Anyway, back to what I was saying. So when you start viewing the world as an artist, all right, you start viewing people as an artist, and you start viewing the world as a sort of simulation that as it is. You stop being so put off by people because you start to understand, like, that's just a function of their personality. That's, like I said, with Tony Stark, okay, if I wanted to play Tony Stark, the AI, right, that constructed them went 10% arrogant, you know, 20% 20% selfishness, 25% bravery, da, 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 da and then constructed this persona that would, you know, make a believable Tony Stark. Well, if your neighbor is John Smith or Anna Nicole, you know, or whatever, and they're acting like assholes, you know, the old you would look at them and say that person is an asshole. But if you can switch your perspective from a part, you know, from somebody who's participating in the illusion to somebody who's observing an illusion. It's like being awake in a lucid dream. All of a sudden, you're not caught up in the dream. You're not caught up in the illusion of it. You take a step back and you start observing these characters like you would in a lucid dream. And you go, you know, that's an interesting character. You know, and then you watch the way they react to things. And you you ask yourself, well, how did they get to that point? And if you're a writer, you go, I'm going to steal that for my story. (laughs) You know, or if you're an artist, you go... You know, I'm going to, I like her eyes or I like, you know, his, his, you know, smile or whatever it is. And you start pulling inspiration. And so you're, you become less of a consumer, more of a creator and life becomes that much more rich. Right. So, um, I'm going to leave you with a few more quotes that I kind of took down, um, that I wanted to share. Um, one of the quotes was by Ocho. He said, "God never repeats. So whatever you are, whoever you are, nobody—the persona that you are when you look in the mirror—is like unique to you." All right. So, there's solace in that. It's like a painting, right? I can't, I can't paint the same faces again. It's always going to be different. Um. So, whoever constructed you, if it was a simulation, you constructed you, and you're on default mode, or your consciousness, the real you that's behind you. That's God. So you are your own God. You created yourself and you continue to create yourself, right? And every nuance and every experience and everything you listen to, it fine tunes you in such a way that you are like literally one in a trillion, billion, million or whatever, right? There are no repeats of you you really do have to start looking at, at life like that and looking at the world like that and looking at other people like that too. When they're getting on, your, getting on your nerves, understand that that person is a one in a trillion, million, billion. And there's something very special about them and very unique about them. And so don't dismiss people. You know, I'm not saying like you take everybody in because there are some people that maybe you should keep at an arm's length, but still observe them. Like, there are characters in scary movies and stuff like that that you're like, I would not want to spend time with you, but I like how that, I like how that character was created and constructed. Um, but you can be over there. Like, if you were a real person, like, there's a Hex and Beast in Grimm, and I uh, forget her name, but, like, the writers do a great job. The writers do a great job of making you, like, you love hating her. You know, like she's written very well that you love hating her now, if I entered into the world of Grimm, would I want to spend time with her? No, bitch is crazy, but it's a beautiful, beautifully constructed um character, and the actor does a, an amazing job of bringing her to life and making her superbly annoying to the point to a point where like I kind of want to punch her in the face like that's how great the character has been constructed, but I could admire that from a distance, and you almost have to start looking at people like that too. Blur the line between reality and, and uh, entertainment, if you can. That's what I'm encouraging you to do. Blur the line. Start viewing people as the same way you would view people as characters in your favorite TV show, except your life is now your own little futuristic TV show slash like, channel, and people are observing you outside of this construct. And live your life accordingly. Like, What kind of life are you living? right are you are you living like a a drama like a novella are you paint- are you living a bob Ross kind of life like I am are you living like a horror are you living like a drama like pause and ask yourself like you know if I was gonna subscribe to this channel like would I subscribe to this all right and if you wouldn't change stuff, you are the god of your life just like you are the creator of your channel creator right you are if you have a YouTube channel you are a youtube creator right and it's your channel so your life your persona your the personality you see that you believe is you is you in some way because you constructed you constructed that you constructed the vehicle you constructed the character the way people always ask me like are my paintings me they are me in a way because i constructed the character if my husband went to go paint oh, like women the way I, he wouldn't be able to paint exactly you know the way i paint because he is completely different, right? So there are there are elements of myself in these paintings, right? And I think a lot of people are able to see that, which is why they ask, are you painting yourself? I am not, but I can't help but influence my art. I mean, that's how it works, right? Right? So life is God. Experience all the dualities. There is no purpose in life. Life is its own purpose. Forget the past. Forget the future. This moment is all. I'm throwing all of that at you at, the, at, the, at once because I want you to think about when people ask, what's the purpose of life? What's the purpose of YouTube? What's the purpose of TikTok? What's the purpose of, the purpose of Instagram? What's the purpose of Facebook? It's whatever you decide it is, right? There is no purpose. Life is God, right? Life is creation, right? You create life and life creates you. There is no purpose to this, right? You're the one who gives it purpose. So if you want to continue to live your life, like it's like a drama. And if you want to get pulled into the the simulation and continue to get pulled into the simulation and reacting to everything, and you want your life to be as dramatic and suffering filled because you want it to feel real, go for it. You're the one, you're you're the creator. You are controlling and you are creating your life. Would you subscribe to the channel? Would you want to watch the, a lot of the stuff that you're going through? If you would, and carry on. I think personally for me, I've always prided myself in being... Um, no, let me take that back. See? Rephrasing. The persona Joe is a character that I'm trying to construct that... If the if this were some sort of futuristic TV show, it would be the kind of show where people tuned in and my persona was doing something differently than what other channels were doing. And it makes sense because even my podcast is on that same premise. You're not I don't talk about things that a lot of people talk about on the other podcasts because I want when people who tune into this podcast it's a different perspective than what's out there, a different mindset that, that that than what's out there, and so my podcast is almost like a micro level simulation kind of thing, or I should say um art form of the life that I'm living in this simulation. yeah, that's a better way to say that, and you can extrapolate from my podcast what the persona behind Joe is trying to do with the persona Joe that's speaking to you right now right which is a very out of the box life where i i'm constantly working on checking the ego i'm constantly working on not being judgmental you know one of the things i've worked on this week for example is like allowing people to be right and saying you know well, that's a good idea um because On one level, the persona Joe is very intelligent, um, and as a result, a bad habit of her ego is that she can be very dismissive, and it's very hard, it feels like it's very hard to let other people, like, give other people, you know, like, the opportunity to teach me things. And I've been working on it um, persistently because it's not just something that is unique to me. I've noticed this in other people. I'm just more trying to check it in myself because when I do check it and I pause, right? I'm always trying to defend, we all are. If you don't believe me, go and read the YouTube comment. It's one person saying, I think this is great and you are this. It's always, it's always followed up with a judgment. We're all little judges. like. Six billion plus judges, little judges, and to me the question is: If we're all judges, then is are any of our judgments really relevant, right? In a sense, or is it just the ego of each personality competing with its with itself, kind of like the same way where like YouTubers will almost kind of like cut other YouTubers down in order to sort of boost their channel, kind of thing, right? but we're doing this on micro levels and across the board right we're trying to make our personas feel great right our personas look better than other personas because there's so many but you know putting other people down doesn't make you any better right if i if i'm i'm an artist and i you know say well my you know my art is better than you know, Picasso's because his is this and that and that that. doesn't really make me a better artist. Um, it just, but it, it can convince other people to believe that what I'm saying is true and that's all we're constantly doing. And to me, that's not healthy. Um, because why, why, why the competition? You don't really need the competition. It's, I'm not going to compare my art to Picasso's, and I'm sure Picasso wouldn't compare his art to mine um, because his art is brought on by his experiences that's very unique to him. Remember the quote, God makes no duplicates. So nobody in the world will ever, they might be able to replicate it, but never create art the way he creates and all the experiences that lead, that led him to be able to paint the way he paints and same with me. And so I have to apply that same mindset now to people, right? When I'm tempted to judge, do I pause? Of course you have to pause and say, you know, that's a character, that's a construct, that's an ego, whatever you want to call it. That's a persona that was created by somebody else, another consciousness, right? Right? And I'm not going to say that they suck or whatever and bring them down because bringing them down verbally and judging them as, you know, quote, bad or this or that or whatever doesn't really make my persona any better, right? It might make me feel better, but it doesn't really make it better. Like if you want to use the channel analogy again, or if you want to use the movie analogy again, you know, you take two movies that are vastly different. You say like a movie like the Titanic and you compare it to like Looper, right? You ask a person which is a quote better movie. And one person, because we're all judges and we love to judge, one person would say Looper is a better movie, and the other person would say Titanic is a better movie. But is it really? No. It's these are just two different movies. It's it's two different works of art. And it's more the it's more opinion than fact. Right, but we treat these opinions as though they are fact, but it doesn't make it real. So that's what I've been working on. So rather than criticizing people, I've learned to kind of keep my mouth shut, and more importantly, learn. I'm learning to view people as little little personalities, little personas that has been that have been constructed by the the psyche, the consciousness, the I, you know, the entity, the the god, the whatever that's behind the vehicle. And appreciate them the way I appreciate, you know, a piece of classical art.